to build the business resilience that we need, we have to keep productivity high. We have to keep driving change because the market is changing and volatile. But then you put your human side on. That Dunkirk spirit we had in the early days of the pandemic is gone. People are tired and they are fed up. You know, we see the strikes and the other unrest that's starting to happen. And the way that we get that balance is to give people as much personal choice and flexibility as we possibly can. Good afternoon and good evening, everybody. I'm Ben Morton and a very warm welcome to episode 89 of the podcast, which is a very special episode in so much as this is our very first returning guest episode. And I'm absolutely delighted to bring you this conversation once again with Sarah Walker-Smith, who is the CEO of AMPA. She's the chief exec of a leading law firm, Shakespeare Martineau. She's a governor at Nottingham Trent University, and she holds countless other roles as well. Sarah first appeared on the show back in December 2020 for episode 16. And here in the UK, at least, we'd come out of one lockdown. We'd had a summer living free And when we recorded, we were just about to go into a second lockdown without really knowing how long it would be. I said at the time, back when she joined me in 2020, that I'd love to have her back on the show. And as I say, I'm absolutely delighted that we've been able to make it happen. And in case you're worrying or in case you're wondering, this isn't just a rerun of episode 16. It's an incredibly rich honest, open conversation in so many ways. We spent a lot of our time talking about how to lead effectively in the current business climate and also how we can prepare ourselves and our teams to be agile and respond effectively to whatever unplanned, unforeseen events are coming for us further down the road. We spoke about how to really take care of and look after our teams and get the best from them in this new hybrid working environment that so many of us find ourselves living and leading in. And we spoke about what it takes to become a Times Top 100 employer. And then we dropped into some super tactical stuff and looked at how do we let go and delegate some tasks that we know we should no longer be doing ourselves. And how do we really get the best and the most from working with an executive assistant? It really is a fabulous episode, folks. I can't wait for you to listen to it and hear what you think. So without any further delay, please enjoy this revisited conversation with Sarah Walker-Smith. Sarah, welcome back to the podcast as our very first returning guest. How, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I can't believe I'm the first returning guest. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> We're trying to have another go, see if we can get it right this time, are we? <laughs> no, it's completely the opposite. I, I loved our, our first conversation, which I was just doing some research. So it was episode 16, which feels like uh, a lifetime ago. I think it was around about December 2020. Wow. Um, I think we'd come out of one lockdown, was just starting or just gone into it. We just had that horrible November one, hadn't we? The one that surprised us all. And we had no idea what was coming with the January through to March 2021 one, which was awful, wasn't it? That was a really bad one. 
It, it was. And I think the, the COVID effect, on the one hand, it seems like just a few weeks ago. And on the other hand, it feels like five or more years ago. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So it's really interesting being able to put some perspective on that now. And I don't know about you, I'm I'm constantly in the background, I think, processing some of the pandemic. I think we haven't yet all necessarily processed what it meant to us. And of course, when you look ahead, it's not like we're walking into a rose garden with really happy times ahead either. So so it feels like we're in a, a weird kind of eye of the storm almost, really, coming out of the last couple of years, but not really knowing what's ahead of us. So gosh, what, what times, eh? And what, what a huge amount we all learned, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just on what you shared there, there's so many, so many questions to ask. I guess the first one that springs to mind, which wasn't something I planned to talk about, that sort of being in the eye of the storm piece that you just mentioned there. Mm. I think that's interesting because recently I've been asked to do a few sessions for leadership teams talking about leading in a very volatile, un- uncertain world. And as I was reflecting and preparing for a few of those sessions, I reflected on the past two years that we've had really. So COVID, none of us ever saw that coming. The impact that had on global supply chains. Then that was further compounded, if we remember that that ship, the Evergreen getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Yes. That had a huge impact. Various kind of lockdowns, war in Ukraine. There's just so much going on. I think five years ago, most of us as leaders could never have comprehended having to deal with any one of those things. Yet we've had all of those in a really short period of time. And there's probably something else coming over the horizon that we, we don't know about. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, like, as a leader of kind of multiple kind of organizations now, I, I guess, sort of yeah. what's your approach for handling that uncertainty yourself and trying to guide a, a big big organization through it gosh this again i could do an entire podcast out of this actually so i did a keynote a couple of weeks ago a bit like you it forced me to think about some of this and before before i go into the kind of how i handle it personally i think the thing that really struck me when i was researching for the keynote the keynote was uh, what's going to happen in the next five to ten years <laughs> great okay so let's get the crystal ball out. was it a short keynote was the answer i don't know <laughs> well basically it could have been a very short keynote but but what i did a bit like you and you've just referenced the VUCA world thing there with the volatile and you know uncertain complex and ambiguous Mm. I've heard that phrase a lot recently and I assumed it was a relatively recent phrase it's not at all it's mid-80s actually and when what's even more startling about that is if you go back and think about what's happened since the mid-80s we didn't even have the world wide web at that point that happened in the early 90s so if we thought it was volatile uncertain and difficult at that point can you imagine what it feels like now and then as you say you layer on all those additional things so so it really made me think but in order to try and understand what's coming ahead, I went back and looked at history over the last 100 years about where there's been anything vaguely similar to this. And the best I could come up with were the periods after the First World War, the periods after the Second World War, and some of the challenges going on in the 70s caused by the oil crisis. And I think when you roll some of this forward, we are definitely going into, and I was writing this before we'd even had the strikes of this week, it was quite clear we're going into strikes, we're going into rationing of some kind, possibly energy rationing of some kind. We've got significant supply chain issues caused by some of the things you talked about. And then there's even, you know, we forget about Brexit, which was not that long ago. Yeah, of course. We have a huge war for talent when it comes to supply chain. We've got massive supplier 
inflationary pressures on us. We've got the Bank of England using monetary policy for a demand side crisis that doesn't work with the challenges that we have here. And when you look at history, and I won't go into this anymore, you can see that there are potentially some very, very difficult times ahead. So exactly to your point, what I feel at the moment is there's an element here at the moment as leaders where we need to regroup, reset, recharge actually, and and make sure that we are going to be ready to go into what comes ahead. Because what we all of us know is we need to be prepared for anything. I kind of jokingly said at this conference that I think there's a missing letter now when you look back at, at VUCA. And if, if you look at all the things you talked about, you know, we're living in a finite world, we're, we're fed up, we're fatigued, you know, we're feuding, all of those things. So I think we need to add an F to VUCA. And quite frankly, I'd probably put it at the beginning, but I'll let you, I'll let you work <laughs> that one out. But it does feel tough doesn't it? I mean, it feels ridiculously tough. So I'm always reminded of the analogy about putting on the oxygen mask in a plane before you. And I know that's been talked about a huge amount. We possibly even mentioned it last time, but never more so has this been true. And I don't think we should get complacent that we've come through this tough period and we're few, we can breathe a sigh of relief. I think we need to restore like I say, mentally and physically now. So first and foremost, look after yourself. I mean, I think that's going to be absolutely essential. And then secondly, do all the things that we need to do in periods of, of volatility, which is is look after ourselves, look after our people, build agility into our organisations, make sure that we are staying close to lead measures as well as lag measures. Yeah. Um, in fact, those lead measures, I think, are dialed up now to spot things coming before they happen. But actually, the other thing that I feel as business leaders is whilst we need to have all this horrendous doom and gloom in our heads about all the things that could go wrong and have all of our contingency plans and then contingency plans for the contingency plans. What we're doing in an agile organization is empowering people to make those decisions. And we mustn't feel like we have to stay in control and manage it all because we won't be able to. So we build organizational resilience through our processes, through our cash, through our empowerment, through building the confidence. And I think business confidence, both internally and externally, will be hugely important because we can help pull ourselves out of this in the right way, or we can collude and add to the problem and really just emphasize and pour fuel on this downward spiral that we can get ourselves into. So for me, confidence and resilience at the heart of it, keeping agile processes, but then the final bit is humanity, keeping in touch with, I guess what we had to do through the pandemic, which is the very human side and authentic side of leadership that needs to continue. Well, yeah, so much to ask you following on from that as well. Like around the, I guess the resilience piece and kind of taking yeah. taking care of ourselves. Two part question here: like, what does that look like for you personally? And then, what does that look like within your your business? Because clearly, you're doing loads well and right because you're in the Times Top 100. I think it was is it sixty first in the top one hundred? Yeah, sixty something. I don't get obsessed with those things because I, I the minute we do one of them, I'm on to like, what do we need to fix? how you sort it so you know don't bask in your own PR too much but but yeah no we we are doing really well and we've got you know we're growing we've created a group we've got some fantastic people in the business we've got fantastic people joining us we've around about 1300 people strong now when I spoke to you last time we were probably 800 we've almost doubled in size or we will be by the end of this year I think in terms of turnover so so we are moving very fast paced in a world that's moving very fast paced so your resilience point is is extremely well made for me how I manage my time hugely hugely important 
when we spoke in December 2020, I got to have the luxury of, of trying to look after everybody and, and lead a large organisation sitting in a shed. So, you know, I could hop on a call with anybody anywhere, see them face to face and and be very time efficient. I mean, it was exhausting, wasn't it? Staring at a screen yeah, all day, but it sure. was really time efficient. And one of the things I've realised as we've gone back into a world which is now open for travel again is how utterly exhausting it can be, uh, the travelling and the different kind of energy you need in face to face meetings so what i've started to do to build my personal resilience is to try and time block things um, in a way that you didn't have to when we were doing everything through a virtual world on zoom or teams so i i now plan my diary several months ahead in terms of physically where i'm going to be i make sure i still get some time back in the shed because that's a recharge and I also try and make sure that I'm not spending too much time in hotels, although I am spending quite a lot of time in hotels, but I'm trying to do it in blocks. Okay. So, you know, I'll plonk myself in London for three days and then try and make sure that everything I need to have done in London is done in those three days. So I don't need to go back again for a few weeks. And then similarly with all the other cities around the UK, I've taken to traveling on the train far more because I know I can get much more done. So again, I'm killing two birds with on stone. I'm getting somewhere, but I'm getting work done. And the physical fitness side of it got lost for me in 2021 because we got back out there again and all the good habits I built up during pandemic and lockdowns disappeared. Yeah. So I was doing loads of walking meetings. I was setting myself challenges to very publicly say I'm going to walk as I did 700 miles in three months. And all of that just disappeared as we got back out there. So I'm trying to build those things back in again and, and actually schedule time to look after myself, which is a really hard thing to do as a leader. But And sometimes we can feel guilty for it, but but you've got to switch the mindset and say, actually, you can't lead others if, you, if you're not well physically and mentally. So it's actually a core part of the job. It's not an optional extra. Yeah. And what about looking after the, the the team then? Because one of the mm. challenges I see in so many businesses and with clients is just how busy people are. And I think yeah. you can broadly split this down into two camps, maybe. There are those businesses where COVID took the demand for their products or services through the roof. So they suddenly became really, really busy because of high yeah. demand. And then... There's another big block of companies probably where COVID had the impact that their services and or products or markets just collapsed and they were finding desperately hard to survive. Yeah. And then there's probably kind of a, a big chunk in, in the middle as well. But I think for those two, those that were really busy have come out of COVID continuing to be really busy. Yeah. Those where their kind of market started collapsing are coming out of COVID working really hard to, to recover. And I just see so many companies where the demands on people are so so vast and people are so under pressure and at the same time the company says it's really important you look after yourself but some frontline employees go you're great but how do I do that I've not got time like what's what does that look like in your world yeah you make the point really well Ben Ours was not so straightforward in that, in that we were a large professional services group. Some of the services continued to be really busy. Others literally stopped overnight. It was it was so different and so mixed. But we've also been going through a period of transformation and change that we accelerated, actually, during the pandemic. So you've, you've got the external impact of the change, but you've also got the internal 
forces of change that we've been driving as we go through our transformation into yeah. what is now the Amper Group, basically. So it has been relentless and it is relentless. Now, I'm going to answer this question in two different ways. First of all, I'm going to put my business hat on and then secondly, I'm going to put my human hat back on again. Um, and of course, what you do normally is you, you don't wear separate hats, you do it all together. But I'm just <laughs> going to try and make two separate arguments. So if I look at it as a business person, to build the business resilience that we need, we have to keep productivity high. We have to keep driving change because the market is changing and volatile. Our input costs are going up dramatically. I mean, the CBI recently shared figures that supplier input inflation is more likely 19 point something percent, nearly 20 percent. Of course, we talk about inflation in the outside world at nine or 10 percent, but the the inflation on businesses, because they are more exposed to some of the forces that we talked about earlier, is running at 20 percent. So there is a real business pressure to get the best out of people and to get productivity. Um, Because if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to then keep giving people the salaries that they need to fight the cost of living crisis and the inflation. So there's this whole circle there that needs to be sorted out. But then you put your human side on and like you, and I said the word fed up and fatigued earlier, you know, Mm. that Dunkirk spirit we had in the early days, the pandemic is, is gone. People are tired and they are fed up. You know, we see the strikes and the other unrest that's starting to happen. So we have to bring an element of humanity to that. And the way that we get that balance is to give people as much personal choice and flexibility as we possibly can. So it's a kind of adults to adult relationship. We trust them to get things done. We look at outputs and what they're delivering and how they're connecting as teams and looking after their clients. But then we say, you work where you need to, when you need to, how you need to. We just need to know what you're doing and make sure that you deliver what we need from you. So that's that's our way of trying to do it. We call it empowered working, where we are deliberately fighting that you must be in the office two days a week, you must work nine to five, because I think the more we can give people choice and flexibility, it does help them continue to meet some of these demands on them, which of course are not just the demands of work, it's it's the demands of, of life. So so that's our main way of doing it. And then of course, all the stuff that we, we had during the pandemic about providing mental health support and career development opportunities and lots of different choices around careers as well gone are the days where careers are just ladders that go up you know we talk about squiggly careers don't we and and I think making sure there's as much choice as possible for people they they may go through periods in their life where they are ambitious and they want to put their foot down to the you know on the accelerator they may go through periods where they want to back off and again we we've got to give people choice and flexibility and and those are the key words for us yeah and I'm, I'm curious where did that focus on choice and flexibility kind of derive from and the reason what sits behind that question from me is I was looking again very recently at some of the research into motivation, motivation theory. Some of the most long-standing, most robust was from Ryan and Detchy, but who basically said three of the most common, most universal motivators for people is autonomy. Yes. Choice around what what work you do and how you do it. Yeah. Competence, sort of a belief that you are able to do the work that you can grow and develop and acquire the skills that you need, which really in today's world, we probably link that more to a growth mindset. And then re- relatedness, a sense of yeah. connection, having relationships with your with your peer, peers and workers. So it seems what you're doing is so spot on with that, with that research. I just wonder if it was just intuitive or not. It was linked to the research. 
No, well, it's both, actually. I can correlate it to three things. So there's the, the kind of well-rehearsed research that you're talking about there, and the, the book, Dan Pink's book, Drive, I think, articulates yeah. some of this really well um, in terms of, you know, purpose, autonomy and mastery, which is very similar to what you're talking about there. Um, but I had a workshop with some of our people last year, and I was I was doing my thing, kind of talking about, you know, here's the theory, blah, blah, blah. And, and somebody said to me, if one more person who earns a six-figure salary tells me that reward doesn't matter... I'm going to scream. And I had this real moment of thinking, how patronising was I being talking about this research without really putting myself in the shoes of the person I was talking to? So so for me, there is that. And I think it's still there. And it's absolutely still there. But if we look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's still there if the basic needs are being met. And with the cost of living and inflationary crisis at the moment and other issues, there's also an enhanced element of making sure that people are being rewarded fairly and it matters to them even more now I still think those other things matter so I think for me it's a correlation of that that research which is is bang on with a really honest and realistic discussion about the financial situation that people find themselves in but equally not fueling that to add create a vicious circle of adding more and more inflation into the economy that's a really tricky conversation and a very difficult balance to get right but the third thing is for me a deep-seated belief that the pandemic gave us flexibility that will improve inclusion and diversity and give us a, a level playing field and we know that many many women more more so than men but not exclusively women took the brunt of the caring responsibilities during the pandemic and some of the other challenges that that it brought out for them. Many of them opted out of work. Many of them took a back seat and pulled back because of that. So for me, the more we can give choice and flexibility, it keeps that very, very important level playing field agenda going to make sure that everybody has the fair an equal ability to get into the workforce and do what they want to do with their lives and their careers and and maximize those things as well as their earning potential at the moment. So so for me it is that great research but it's correlated with a really strong foot in what's going on in the real world at the moment and being very honest about the importance of reward and then making sure that we allow access to everybody to to have the same opportunities. Yeah and, and is it all of those things that helped you get your most recent ranking in the best places to work? Yeah, maybe. I think these things are important for us to test what we're doing and to make sure that that we are listening. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that survey was two or three months ago. It's already out of date. I mean, things are moving so quickly. So we mustn't bank on things like that and think we know the answers. We have to keep talking to people. So we do pulse surveys and and much more frequent conversations with people. We did an all-people conference online a couple of weeks ago where, again, we invited questions to me and the rest of the board to really make sure that we have an open and two-way dialogue and, and we don't just take for granted what people want because I think it's changing very, very quickly. So so we have to keep the agility in all of these processes back to agility again really i think it does help with awards that we're very honest with people as well and we tell them the bad stuff you know i could sit here and say we're going to give you all fantastic careers and huge pay rises and i I sit and say well we can't actually because of this 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 and this but here's what we can do will that work is that good enough for now and i just think we have to have grown-up adult honest conversations with everybody in the firm whatever their role is yeah, I, I, I love that as well. It links back to, uh, in my view, it's the best leadership book that's ever been written, which is The Leadership Challenge by Jim Cousins and Barry Posner. I was fortunate to have Jim Cousins on the show. And I bang on about that book all the time, mostly because started in 1982 now. They've gone gone out every seven years or so, wow. researched people and asked, um, what are the characteristics you look for in an admired leader? Yeah. 
the number one thing has never ever changed and it's always been honesty that doesn't surprise me actually I, I it's surprisingly hard to be honest I think people are are fearful they're, they're sometimes fearful that they haven't got all the right answers I remember one of the things we did in the pandemic and at the time it felt very brave but looking back on it now it was so obviously the right thing to do is I remember we we sat down in the first lockdown uh, we'd had some huge impact on our business at that point turnover was down by about 25 30 percent and I basically just said I don't know what we're going to do about this yet and I'm going to try to make sure we don't have to reduce people's salaries. I'm going to try my best to make sure we don't need to make people redundant. So I'm going to tell you every week how we're doing against that. And I'll share with you what I think we need to hit this week to avoid any salary cuts or any redundancies. And I'll keep telling you every week where we're up to. And I had a few people panicked and said, oh, my gosh, you're about to cut all our salaries. No, no, no. I am telling you. I don't want to. And I'm setting out for you what we're going to have to do to avoid that. And it took a little bit of while for people to get that, because I don't think we'd ever been that honest before in advance of making a decision. So, Mm. you know, obviously, you typically as leaders, you go behind closed doors, you do loads of analysis, you might consult a few people, you make a decision, and then you tell people and hopefully you're very honest about it. I was telling them before we'd made a decision and saying, I don't know yet what we're going to do, but I'm going to take you through this whole thought process with me and um when i look back on that that was probably one of the most seminal points for me as a leader to go it's okay to do that you don't have to have all the answers you can just be really honest with people and they really appreciate it so why do we do well in certain awards well lots of different reasons really but i i think that open and honest adult dialogue is hopefully one of the reasons yeah and how much of that honesty and weekly updates has remained post-covid yeah it's a good question i remember when things settled down last summer because i was i was making videos to the firm every week um, right. in fact sometimes twice a week to everybody and you know at that point heading for a thousand people i suppose at, at the height of it as we say now a higher amount so i don't do it anywhere near as much and i had somebody challenge me on that a few months ago and said where are you we don't see you as much and i said oh, i'm still making one a month and I thought that was enough because, you know, you get sick of the sound of your own voice and, and people get sick of seeing you jumping up on a video going, hi, how is everybody today? But I realised that actually people still wanted that connectedness to continue. And as a leader, particularly a leader, if you've got, as we have, 17 different offices around the UK, I cannot be at all of those offices frequently and make sure I'm visible enough to see people. And of course, with a hybrid working situation and empowered working, they may not be in the office when I'm there anyway. So I realised actually that some of the things we learned during the pandemic about how to be visible are just as relevant now and we need to keep it going. So no, I don't do it once a week, but but I, I do make sure it's at least once a month, sometimes more frequently. And I've stayed with the video communication rather than, you know, really boring emails and things like that. So I've, I've tried to keep that that authenticity going as well. But I think I, I think I could do more on that and I think we're going to need to do more with the period that we're going into yeah again I think that's so interesting and I found myself having a conversation with someone about this very very recently they're talking about how do I asking me how they can build a real sense of connection when people are working flexibly in a, a hybrid world and my answer was very similar to what you've just shared in so much as the start of COVID we all got very good at it didn't we we yeah. put on all these virtual team events we might have had a separate whatsapp or slack channel just for some social stuff and then there came a point where we all started to get a little bit tired of it <laughs> oh christ have i really got to do another online quiz or, or whatever yeah, yeah. it all kind of faded away didn't it it did and then we kind of thought maybe we don't need it anymore but we're still not back to most of us five days a week in, in an office no. so we are more disconnected so actually bringing back a little bit just enough like the goldilocks amount of that 
virtual stuff that brings us together, I, I think is is important, isn't it? And as they said, what should I do? I said, well, you know what to do. Bring back some of what we did, did before. Definitely, definitely that. Some, you know, like version 2.0, you know, we need to constantly make sure we're evolving it and it's still relevant. But I think that's got to be right. I think the other thing is make make it more two-way as well. And there was a lot of top-down stuff coming out in the early pandemic, and I think we're trying to reverse it back round again. So make sure that we can listen to people as much as we can try and update them and tell them what's going on. And I think that's certainly a big thing for me. But I use social media channels for visibility as much with my own people as I do for the outside world as well actually i've kept a lot of the external comms going for that reason because we know that our people are connecting with us on internal channels and external channels so yeah i i think we did know what to do and i think we just need to reinvent it slightly but keep going with it reminds me as well i've i've not shared it for a while i was running a workshop and it just occurred to me in the moment I drew a simple four box grid on the on the flip chart and ev- everyone laughed because it's the classic joke about a consultant, right? No consultants yeah, yeah, worth yeah. their salt if they can't quickly create a four box grid. Um, but if you imagine a four box grid and the columns were pre-COVID and COVID. Yes. And then the rows were keep and then the next one down was bin. Yeah, yeah. And I said, it's really interesting because people were always talking about going back to normal kind of in the height of COVID. And I often mm-hmm. say we might've said it on, on episode 16, actually, I, I don't want to go back to normal because right. a lot of what was normal didn't, didn't serve as well. So I think it's a really interesting exercise mm-hmm. to think about, well, what's some of the stuff from pre pandemic that didn't serve as well that actually we don't want to bring back and what's some new stuff. And then there's some of the stuff we brought in during the pandemic of that, what do we want to keep? Cause it actually was good. And of that, what do we want to bin? Because it got us through the tough times, but it wasn't great. Let's let's get rid of it. I wonder if is there anything I'm slightly putting you on the spot. Is there anything mm. that springs to mind immediately about what you did that kind of would fit into one of those those sort of boxes? Um, yes, to a certain extent. What I would say though, and this is another real insight for me, just harping on back to something that I said at the top of this call. I went back and looked at history to try and find examples of where we've been in anything like the kind of situation we are in and about to go into now. And I realised that I could look at those things, but of course, it's not a cycle, it's more of a spiral. So so other factors have changed and other things have changed. So you can't necessarily go back. And so my point about looking back at COVID is, I think my initial generic observation is, but it's not the same circumstances. So so it's, it's almost what other lenses can we apply to look at it that are not just pandemic related. So the other thing that's really relevant for that is, When we went into COVID and we were having to do some of these things, largely at that point, most of our people already had relationships with each other because they'd worked together before the pandemic. Yeah, of course. Two or three years on, we've got lots of people who've joined the business, particularly because we're expanding and growing so quickly, who didn't have that pre-pandemic thing. So I would probably be inclined to somehow, and I, I haven't got there quickly enough, but somehow reframe some of those questions because some of them you know, we've all moved on. And actually, like I say, the demographic of our workforce has moved on. So they didn't experience some of the pre-pandemic stuff. But for me, me personally, I've probably covered some of this. It's about how I use my time and make sure that I'm really purposefully using my time and getting the efficiency of the working from home and the psychological safety sometimes of being in my shed. So my shed became a sanctuary for me. I was self-isolating through the pandemic. And 
I miss it when I'm not in it, which is utterly bizarre to say, because when I was in it and couldn't go anywhere, it felt like a prison. What I'm, I'm sure there's a whole psychological thing <laughs> about that. Stockholm syndrome, probably. So for me, find those safe places and the pandemic forced us to, to stay safe. And whether it's psychologically safe or physically safe, for me, I want to keep my safe space and have those boundaries occasionally. But equally, the thing I loved about it was the ability to connect so well, as we've just said. Mm. And for me, the keep bit is keep the way we connected. I'd like to find the Dunkirk spirit again. So, you know, you've alluded to this with some of the research on motivation. People need a purpose or something to rally around. So I think personally, the role of purpose in organisations was already important pre-pandemic. I think I would be dialing that up even more. I think we we had a natural purpose in the pandemic, which was basically survival wasn't it and pulling together yeah, and, and sure. looking after each other i think that the keeping that purpose that we had in the pandemic but but like i say not assuming it's the same reinventing it now for the challenges that we have ahead of us i think probably the big things i would take from that the connectedness the purpose and the safe spaces that we created for each other actually both physically and mentally yeah great and there's quite a tactical question I want to ask, which is what we were speaking about before we we hit record, which mm. links really nicely to some of the stuff you've mentioned around managing your time to help with your your resilience. And it's just that piece around kind of how you now work with your EA around managing your diary, which I think will be really interesting for people because it's something that I struggle with. I know it's something that many, many leaders struggle with as they step into more and more senior jobs, like letting go of stuff, maybe letting up some control of their of their diary. Um, I, I, I wrestle wrestle with it with, with Amanda. Took me a while to do this, but I have totally and utterly handed it over. And I start from the basis, I mean, you have to build a huge amount of trust in somebody. And I'm very lucky um, in that, that I've, uh, I've got an EA who I trust enormously. And, um, but I also know she's an extension of sorry to put it in phrases like this, but she is an extension of my brand as well as such. Because, you know, if she becomes too much of a gatekeeper to me, it will tell people that I'm not an accessible person. And of course, being an accessible person is really important. But equally, she will want to make sure that I'm not being totally overloaded because she knows as well that if I do get overloaded, I won't be effective and I'll probably get ill. So so she's got this fine balance to do. And before it sounds like I've absolutely abdicated responsibility, the, the way I look at it is there's intent, but there's also pragmatism. So on the pragmatic front, you know, I will set for three months at a time where I think I need to be physically around the country. And then I will hook in some of these key things and let her start to plan around that. If I don't give her those that framework, and if you like the edges of the jigsaw, it's really hard for her to fill in the bits on the jigsaw piece. So you've got to give you've got to give people if you like, stakes in the ground, parameters, those things. But the intent bit is probably the subtle bit that's more important, which is to really make sure that she understands what I'm trying to achieve, i.e. I need to be visible or it's really important that this particular group of people feel that they've had enough of my time during this particular time period. So I try and kind of give her the the colour of it as well and the intent Mm. of it, as well as the real pragmatic things like I just know because of my son's school play, I'll need to be in North Yorkshire in that day so so i i've given her that and then i let go and it is a bit freaky to do it and then then you go through this whole thing of thinking that you're being lazy actually and i'm feeling very privileged um because you think you know gosh what luxury is it to have somebody who does that but there are still certain bits i keep hold of for example i book my own trains 
which some people say to me, why on earth do you do that when you've got an EA? And I tend to book my own hotels as well, actually, to a certain extent. Um, not always, but sometimes. And that's because it's that nano bit of thinking, I've got to get from here to here. And then this day, I know that it will be better for me if I work on the train at this yeah, point. So, yeah. so keep control of the bits where it would take too long to explain to somebody else. Weirdly, like I say, I've handed over the big picture, which might sound counterintuitive, but but it works much better and it keeps me really more efficient as well. Yeah. And honestly, how hard was it? Well, you go through you go through the whole trauma of letting go of anything, don't you? Which is you think you've let go, but then you keep dabbling and being really annoying and saying, you know, what about this? What about that? What about the other? And it's it, you build up trust over time and trust. There's a whole extra podcast on trust but trust comes from having those common goals so we know that what we're both trying to achieve then believing that she's competent which she is and of course she demonstrates that to me by getting it right and and allowing the right amount of travel time in between meetings and things like that then we've got words and actions and consistency so congruency and consistency making sure that you know it continues to work and then at the top of the pyramid that I think of at trust is caring and I know that she wants to make it work for me and that helps me build the trust as well. So I think you, you've got to kind of build your trust sequentially. But if you're really struggling with letting go with it, start from the common goals bit because, and obviously work with somebody that you know is competent. Quick one for you and apologies for interrupting my own show. But if you're enjoying this piece of this episode, then do take a listen to episode 75 with Ro Hoffer who is the executive assistant to the chief executive at the web search company Mozilla. I know you'll get loads of value from that episode as well. But for now, I'll let you get back to Sarah. And what does that sharing the intent look like? Again, I I love that because that goes right to the heart of some of my leadership beliefs and training and so in in the military whenever we was given a set of orders for an operation or we was giving a set of orders one of the things that we would literally we would say these words and then describe it would be commander's intent right so signposted yeah Yeah, we would literally use those two words and i'd say okay commander's intent pause then i'd say this is ultimately what we're trying to achieve yeah yeah. And I've not really ever heard many people kind of talk about that in the in the business world as, as clearly as you. In their diary. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, Simon Sinek is, is very, very well quoted on this in terms of start with why. But it's so true, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you get the why bit sorted, everything else comes. And even on something as basic as explaining to somebody why you are wanting to manage your time the way you are or your diary the way you are, it just puts them, it gives them power. You know, if we really want to empower people, you have to give them that tech context and that intent. And then then you build, it's it's a virtuous circle because they're aligned with what you're trying to achieve and you build trust because they deliver you what you're trying to achieve. So it's it's amazingly obvious, but I agree with you, we don't always do it. So, so what does my intent look like? Well, I start, I don't necessarily share this with her. I draw pie charts actually. Actually, once an accountant, always an accountant. So I draw a pie chart occasionally, intermittently, maybe every few months of where I'm mm. spending my time, but where I think I should be spending my time based on what is going on at the moment. Now, I could draw that for a year. It would be out of date within two or three months, which is why I do it intermittently. If something shifts, I look at it again and go, hang on a minute, Sarah, you need to reset. Where are you spending your time? Where should you be spending your time? And once I've got that sorted, I'll either share my pie charts or, or such. There's a phrase you don't hear every day. Um, or I'll I'll basically explain the context of that and say, do you know what? I'm worried that at the moment you know, there's a few things over here that really need my attention. And they, and more importantly, 
those people need to feel that they've got my attention. And what we're trying to do here is create a feeling. Back to brand again. I don't mean brand in a superficial way. I mean brand in terms of a leadership brand of building trust yeah. with your people. And for me, if we get that right, most of my intent has got to be to build trust because I'm asking my people to do a huge amount, to follow me on this crazy journey that we're going through and to trust that we're doing the right thing, whether it's in terms of the strategy or the finances or the day-to-day. You know, there's there's a massive amount of trust in any leader, not just me, but my, my whole board. And therefore, they need to see my words and actions meeting. And my EA has such a massive role to play in those words and actions meeting because I could be saying all the right things. And if the people I'm saying are important never see me, yeah, they won't believe it. So for me, she's the segue of my words and my actions in terms of what I do with my time. And so the more she can understand what I'm trying to do and why I'm trying to do it and the fact it will shift, it could shift quite quickly sometimes yeah. as well, then the better she can do her job. And she'd be the first to say, when it gets really busy, I'm not always as good at communicating that, but I'm very mindful that when we catch up, I tend to start with a conversation about what, why am I thinking like this at the moment? And then we get into the nitty gritty. Super specific question on your pie charts. Are they <laughs> gut feel or do you literally go through and analyse like days and time in your diary in order to create them? Oh my God. <laughs> No, they are gut feel. Life is way too short for that. I, I I used to be an accountant. I used to love a spreadsheet. I don't have the luxury of that anymore. No, I think I think as a leader, I've grown into this. I wouldn't I would have analysed it. I would have done it a few years ago. One of the strongest gifts we have as leaders is our mm-hmm. instincts and we have to trust them. So it is instinctive. It's not scientific at all. As we get better at tuning into our instincts, a simple diagram like that can articulate our, our instincts without yeah. getting too analytical i do love some of your um accountant auditor tactics after we last spoke i literally went straight out and bought myself a couple more nice notepads and i now have i I now have one set just for capturing like learning and ideas as well as my journal that i always had Ah, well, I went on an upgrade. Oh, so you're going to love this, Ben. Um, so I still have my stationery, but then I bought a tab, a, a remarkable tablet. I'm not trying to advertise, but um, because what I then realised very quickly, I can carry 15 different notebooks with me at the same time. And your bag gets really heavy. Yes, but on a remarkable, you can stop you. Um, essentially, it's like paper that you can scribble and write on it. It has some downsides as well. I'll come back to that in a second. But you can organise your notebooks, so you can you can set it like a like Windows folders, really. So you can have a macro notebook, which is I don't know, writing or speaking, and then you can kind of set notebooks underneath it. So so I found I could I could replicate my whole suite of different notebooks on this this single device that was very portable this is of course coming back out of the shed this time last year suddenly i in the shed i was surrounded by notebooks you go out of the shed you can't do it what i do find though having gone through a period of doing that was i realized that for some things and i think it's to do with the way my brain is operating at that time i prefer to actually get my actual notebook out and write on it even though the remarkable as has got a fine pen nib and it's like you handwrite into it. Occasionally, I I still go back to that comfort zone, back to finding your safe point again. When I'm really doing some deep thinking, I get pen and paper out and use one of those beautiful notebooks that you and I have a shared shared yeah. love of. I'm 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 sitting on the fence about whether to get a remarkable. So it's funny that you brought funny that you brought it up. Potentially final or, or penultimate question, Sarah. Listening to you chatting today and thinking back to our our previous conversation it sort of gives me the warm fuzzy feeling that all of the stuff I talk about and doing my work around 
leadership and bringing in some of the lessons from the military and everything I've yeah. I've learned ever, ever since like gives me that warm fuzzy feeling that I'm not an idealist and it it, it works yeah. and in many ways like listening to you talk is just like a feels like a living embodiment of really amazing effective leadership I'm curious like what's your leadership development look like have you done a lot of formal study and learning is it kind of reading personally is it kind of the school of life it's all of it all of the above really the university of the pandemic if you can call it that was the biggest learning opportunity i've ever had and if i if i break that down it was the very much the pragmatic side of it you know having to get in there and do it this was real you couldn't sit there and have the luxury of thinking it all through or reading 15 textbooks it was if I use a military analogy it was the bit where you're going over the trenches wasn't it there wasn't a case of let's sit down and plan this it was like right come on follow me guys let's get let's over we Mm. go so so there was some very live situational learning going on and I always come back to Daniel Goleman I think it is and the situational leadership styles and and my gosh that that became very pertinent because having an arsenal of different leadership styles to use I think became really important amplified in the pandemic and I think it will be going forwards so there was that very real live learning but I am also a geek I read loads of books um I've never got into and I shouldn't say this on your podcast I've never got into actually listening to podcasts because okay. if I'm out and about walking with my headphones on I'm talking to somebody normally I'm on yeah. a phone call I'm I'm talking to someone but I do the equivalent I read book summaries Actually, sometimes if I'm in the car, I'll listen to to leadership podcasts and that kind of thing as well. But perhaps I could do more of that. But some of it's books, reflection. Some of it is in battle almost, you know, in, in the field. Yeah. And, and then some of it is I, I learn a huge amount from watching other people, you know, whether it's the teams that I work with who've got some some just fantastic leaders at my team on the board. Again, some brilliant leaders who I've learned a huge amount from. I'm part of an external network, the Leadership Fellowship from St. George's House at Windsor Castle, which has a remarkable bunch of leaders. And some of the friendships and mentoring connections that I've made as part of that group have been transformational for me. So that external support network who you can learn from and run ideas past. In fact, I had a, a brilliant conversation with one of this this week, CEO to CEO, going, what do you do about this? What do you do about that? And, you know, that safe space again where you can talk to to somebody else. And I guess the other thing is occasionally I do something really stupid like I did uh, at the beginning of 2021, you know, that horrible lockdown we were in. I bought myself on a three-month intensive course with the London School of Economics <laughs> so, <laughs> so that I just wanted to make sure my technical knowledge was okay. was up to speed. You know, it's the sharp and the sore stuff if you've, if you've done Stephen Covey. So it's lots of different things. But again, I go with my instincts of what I feel I need at that point. Yeah. I don't have a plan. I just kind of go, what's missing at the moment? Do I need a top upon technical? Do I need to talk to somebody about this? Do I? And I've got all those resources available to me and I, I kind of go with where my instincts take me. I sense you're quite an active reflector as well, though. So many people go through the School of Life or the Life University of Leadership or whatever, but don't pause to actually reflect and learn the lessons. Or I get a sense you you really, really do. Yeah. Using that wonderful stationery that we talked about. I, 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 it sounds too formal to say that I journal and it sounds very kind of pretentious to say that I, I wouldn't say I'm a journaler but I do process a lot of things by writing them down I've also got some really trusted friends colleagues slash friends outside of the business who I will sometimes leave voice notes for and they do the same thing back which is a way of processing your thinking so yeah. some people actually saying it out loud helps you reflect and process 
And, you know, my friends on the other end might just delete some of these messages for all I know, but it's helped me to speak them out. So I do a lot of that. And I do a lot of speaking engagements sometimes because, again, it forces me to reflect because typically like this today, you're helping me reflect by asking me all these questions. So so I make sure that I put myself out there so that people will ask me questions and that that will force me to think it through as well. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. I've started asking a few quickfire questions at the end of every every episode you was last on. So let me just ask two of those. Um, And I'm slightly springing these on you. The first one is always have to caveat with accept your mobile phone. What is the one item that if it was lost, stolen or broken, you would have to go out and immediately replace? This is not the answer you were looking for. But you know, the first words that came into my head was my dignity. Oh, wow. Because actually, there are certain things in your life you can control, aren't you? And, And keeping your own dignity whatever is going on what everybody ever tries to do to you I I have a phrase that I say nobody can take your dignity away from you apart from you so that was the first phrase that jumped into my head it's not really an object second one it would be the notebook but it wouldn't be the remarkable sorry remarkable sellers and other brands that are available It, it would be my actual notebook I think if I didn't have the ability to with a pen and a notebook to to scribble and write things down, particularly my random notebook the one where I just put all of the crazy ideas that come into my head I would be really sad if I didn't have that anymore yeah, brilliant. I, I love the dignity answer. And the other one, I did ask you this last time, actually, and I think your answer was, and I'm not going to remember the exact title, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and what was the, what's the book called? It's the somebody Macazzi. I think it was you yeah, that mentioned I don't know. that. Maybe I, it wasn't. I, no, I'm not so sure it was actually, Ben, but I could be completely wrong because December 2020, literally. I, I've it's probably, a lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah. honestly. Um, I have seen that book. I don't own it. It's one of the few books I don't own. So if you, are you going to ask me what my favourite book is? Or? Yeah, kind of a favourite book or most recommended book or a book that's had the most significant impact upon you. Yeah, so... Gosh, you're talking to somebody who's got literally hundreds of books. The the one from a business point of view that's just popped into my head is the one that I've been reading most recently, which is called Deep Purpose uh, by Ranjay Gulati. And he is a Harvard professor and he has been talking about, as we've talked about, of course, the importance of purpose at work, but actually how you make sure you do it because mm. anybody can talk the purpose game so i i really like that one it's probably the most recent one i've come across actually that's really grabbed me but I, I've, you, know, you could ask me every day of the week and i'd probably give you a different answer yeah i, I think talking the purpose game is really dangerous right i think yeah. if you're gonna talk it and not do it properly you're definitely better off not doing it at all because i think you do a whole lot more damage than than good i think yeah Sarah, thank you so much. It's been such a brilliant, wonderful conversation, gone off in all sorts of unscripted, unplanned directions, but it's just been so rich in in content and stuff. So thank you so much. It's been really nice connecting with you again. Yeah, no, it really has. And I'm so glad that you're still doing what you're doing, you know, 18 months, nearly heading for two years later, helping us all through this crazy time, because the better leaders we have, the better we'll come through this and the better support the leaders have and challenge and inspiration the leaders have then. Yeah, it it becomes a a positive cycle. So thank you. Uh, My pleasure. And what a wonderful place to end. There you have it, folks. That was episode 89. I told you it was a really rich conversation and a cracker of an episode. So I really hope that you enjoyed it. But as always, I really hope that there are some little golden nuggets of inspiration or tactics that you can take away and use right now to make you an even better leader. 
If you are getting value from it, then here's my usual request, folks. Please do share the link to the show widely with your friends and colleagues. And it would be amazing if you could just leave me a short review wherever you happen to be listening. And even better than that would be to rate and subscribe to the show. Other than that, before you go, do take a couple of minutes just to scroll through the show notes, folks, because there's all sorts of links and extra goodies in there that I know will be incredibly valuable for you. But for now, that's it for this episode. Take care, look after yourself and lead on.